I think that's such a good example is finding your passion. And I, I think so many people, once you authentically understand who you are and then you follow that path, I feel like so much peace can be achieved. And like that grit and persistence is easier to get to because it, it comes naturally because you're doing what you're meant to do. Hey guys, welcome to the Power and Persistence podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Blois, business owner, mentor, self-care advocate, manifester, wife, and mama of two. This podcast is designed to make you feel seen and inspired. Join me for honest and raw conversations with successful women and purpose-driven entrepreneurs. We'll explore how they imperfectly but persistently juggle career, family, and relationships, all while honoring their authentic selves. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show today. Today, I am so excited to be welcoming Danielle Gable. She is a doctor of nursing practice. She is a go-getter and inspiration. I've seen her go through the process of achieving her dreams and working up her career field, I guess. Um, I don't know if I said that correctly, but she is such an inspiration, a mom of three, and just a really good person. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you, Jesse. That's really sweet. I, I don't know if I deserve all those accolades, but really, really sweet and exciting. I view you. It's hilarious that we literally live a block apart and I'm seeing you virtually more than I see you in person. But. I know it's busy. It's busy. Um, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this because I know you're very busy. Oh, no, this is the highlight of my day. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. So, is great. Why don't we start from the beginning? Kind of as you're growing up and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, maybe what your first job was. Sure, sure. So um, I met a, a tried and true Valley girl, grew up in Tarzana. Um, growing up, I didn't have anybody in healthcare in my family. My dad's an economist and my mom was a teacher, but she was uh, at home raising us. And so, you know, as I was getting, as I was growing up, I was really like interested in like social sciences and I loved history and I wanted to be a social worker. My aunt was a social worker. And um, I remember my dad saying to me something along the lines of like, you know, you're not going to make enough money in that career. You're not going to put food on the table. And like good, pushy Jewish parents, uh, he kind of said, in no uncertain terms, like, you're not going to do it. So I went, yeah, so very typical, right? So I went um, to college. I went to Berkeley. They obviously didn't have a nursing school. Um, so I studied economics because I didn't know any better. And that's what my dad did. And I just thought, okay, I'll go into business like my dad. Well, isn't that wild that at such a young age, we're supposed to choose? It is. We want to do. Ridiculous. It's totally yeah. ridiculous. And, and, and I think the lesson is, you know, go with your instinct because I knew in my gut that I didn't want to be in business, that I wanted to do something people facing. But I listened to my dad, like all good 18 year olds do. So, um, yeah, so then I, I finished school and I got a job in, in a management training program for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. So I don't know if you've ever like heard of their program, but they're one of the biggest recruiters of, um, of new college graduates because they have this management training program. So they have this whole method. It's really like kind of culty, actually, looking back on it. But they have this whole method where they start you like washing cars and you know, do like all the ground level work. They only want to read Uh-huh. Wow. And it was, you know, if, you, if I wanted to like run a business or have like some like career in banking or something, it would have been great. But what do you manage now? Do you feel like yeah. you use it a little it, bit? I mean, I think it helped me realize that I'm really good at being bossy and that I like to be in charge of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, it was good. So I did it for a few years. And the funniest thing is that when I was there, I met another, uh, I made a really good friend. Um, and both of us decided to go to nursing school together at the same time, just like kind of on a whip. So then how went, did you come up with nursing school? Honestly, I was super unfulfilled. My husband, Dan, uh, you know, Dan, um, was going back to school to get his MBA. We were going to move from Northern California to Southern California. I knew I didn't want to move within Enterprise Redicar. I also was kind of tired of working generally and was like, I think I need to go to school and just figure it out. So, yeah, so hold on one second. So you're married at this point. Are you also? What, was I married? No, I engaged, but not. Okay, so you're not a mom yet. No, definitely not. This is all. Okay. This is probably like 
2004. Okay. But like, I just want to say, because so much of what I'm trying to get out into the world is your intuition is so important. important. I love that you quickly were just like, this is not it. My gut's telling me to do something else and I'm going for it. So exactly. Exactly. So my, so what my gut was telling me is do something with people, do something in healthcare, but I didn't know what. And I was asking my friends and my best friend from college, um, who ironically is a social worker, um, her sister had gone back to school to become a nurse. Um, and I'd always like really gotten along with her sister. We were very similar people. And so my best friend was like, you thought about nursing? So I came to work the next day. I told my friend at Enterprise, like, hey, we should go be nurses. And she was like, cool, good plan. Let's do it. <laughs> and that's, that's truly how I got into it. So strange. Um, so I did. And, you know, pretty quickly realized, hey, I really like this. Like, I could be really good at this. I enjoy this. And, um, you know, I, I really, um, after probably the first, like, six months of school, I realized I actually felt really passionately about it. And I just embraced it full force, loved it, uh, and really never looked back. That's amazing. Did you have to go back and take prerequisites? A, a few. So I would have had I had a science-based undergraduate degree, but since I was economics, I had to do, it was funny, I, I did organic chemistry, anatomy, physiology, yeah. statistics. It was interesting. And I, had, I, I did them at a community college, which coming from like sort of the private school pedigree and then Berkeley that I had, it was a completely different experience. Um, but it was great. And I, I actually, you know, in high school, I always told myself, because I was like such a social science person, I always told myself like, oh, you're really bad at science. Like that was my internal. Yeah, yeah. And then when I went back to school for nursing, I was like getting straight A's in chemistry. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm not that bad at this. But the lesson I learned was if you're passionate about something, mm-hmm. it's, it just clicks and you yes. just know. So I had it, you know, when you go to school to do what you really want to do, you perform so much better. Um, and I had a great experience from there. That's awesome. Okay. So how long were you in nursing school? So I was lucky because these programs were just coming out at the time where if you had a bachelor's in something else, you could get an accelerated RN. So it took me about, I want to say 15 or 16 months just to get the RN, but I had to do the prereqs for like a year or two. Then about 15 months to get the RN. And then from there, I, st- I was working full time as a new nurse and developed my master's online. Okay, so you just went straight to your RN, straight to your master's. And while you're doing this, are you working? Yeah. So I finished, I got the RN equivalent in 2007. So I started working as a nurse and I finished my master's in 2009. So for that like year and a half-ish, I uh, worked full-time as a new nurse in the ICU, which is the intensive care unit. I worked the night shift. Yeah, it was interesting. It was really interesting, but I didn't have kids. And, you know, my husband was putting in hours working um, on school, you know, getting his MBA at Irvine. And I just, you know, it worked for us. Wow. When you were in school to be an RN, were you working some other job or were you able to take time? You were able to take I time. I had to take time. Um, yeah, I think that those accelerated programs are so intense. So yeah. like four full days. And one or two, depending on where you were in the program, was a 12-hour shift training in the hospital. So there was no way I could have really done it. Okay. And Dan's in school at that time, too. Yeah. When did you guys say hi to each other? Um, well, I remember many days where I'd come home from the night shift. We, I worked near, you know, where we lived. So I would come in the apartment at like, you know, 745 or something. And then he would leave for work at 830 and we'd have that 45 minutes. He wouldn't be having coffee. I'd be having like dinner and then we'd just, you know, split off. Wow. And did you get married during this time? We did. We got married in 2007. We actually got married two months before I finished nursing school. Wow. So you're planning a wedding during the Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, I planned my wedding during my last chunk of grad school. Oh, we got married uh, a month after I graduated. And I just remember anything presented to me. I was like, 
yep, that's fine. That looks good. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care at all. I was never like that, that girl that planned my whole wedding in my head as a yeah. So I yeah. was just like, at that point, it was kind of like, oh, well, we just need to. <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm like, I tried on a dress. It was on sale. And I was like, it works. We yeah. saw some invitations. I was like, those are great. Yep. I couldn't care less because yeah, there was so much other stuff going on. Um, okay, so you were just talking about long hours, working overnight, working full time. I feel like um, I hear a lot these days about burnout. What do you, I, I mean, I'm assuming you experienced burnout, but you clearly didn't stop. So can you talk about like what that burnout, did you experience burnout or was you just like, no, this is what I'm doing and I'm moving forward. How did you work through that? You know, I mean, burnout, I don't know if I would say it was burnout. I was tired, right? I mean, mm-hmm. looking back now, you know, we're moms, we have kids, we're slipping our kids everywhere. Tired takes on a different meeting post kid. At that time, you know, now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was the freest time of my life. And you're like, I wasn't tired. I don't want to go I could go out this. Um, I was really tired. And I knew, I think the one thing I really struggled with and, um, is, was the night shift. So I'm interested in that my whole life, even in college, I've always been like a super early bird morning person. That's just my time clock. And so to work overnight was was really the only thing that was contributing to like any unhappiness on my end at all because I loved my job. Um, so I realized a few months in that I had to put myself on a waiting list for day shift and knowing that was going to come helped me a lot. Uh, but, you know, the long hours, I am... Um, you get used to it because in nursing school, you have so much clinical training that you're used to like a 12, you know, I came to realize like, if you're already at work for eight hours, what's another four hours, right? And in exchange, you get a couple of days of the week off at the hour, but nothing yet, right? So you kind of have that trade-off. And that, that was the thing I think that was the draw of nursing for a lot of people too, which is three 12-hour shifts. So yeah. you, you, know, you can be a mom and you can do all that stuff and try to sit in it. Of course, now I'm doing some, you know, back to the five days a week, but yeah, there was a lot of flexibility. That's nice. Okay. So how long were you, you got your master's right away and now you're nursing and where were you working? Were you close at, to home at that at point? At that point, I was actually, um, at, at Cedar site. I had the main Cedars campus. Okay. Um, back at the time there was another, now it's worse, but at the time there was a, a pretty significant nursing shortage. And so I had this awesome opportunity as a new nurse to go wherever I wanted. I could have worked in any specialty area and that's really, that had been unusual prior to that time. So when I interviewed at Cedars, I knew um, I wanted to be with really sick people. I was kind of choosing between pediatric intensive care and adult intensive care. Um, and decided on adults because I knew I would have kids at some point and thought it might be hard mm-hmm. to have kids and, mm-hmm. and pediatric intensive care. So I worked in intensive care. When I started, it was like a cardiac and lung unit, which was really cool. We took care of patients post-lung transplant and some really cool stuff at the time. Um, and then after a couple of, so I kind of worked my way up, became a charge nurse pretty quickly because I said, I'm, I'm bossy. Um, and they realized that I was bossy and, and um, like to be in charge of things. So I did that. And then the unit became a neurotrauma unit. So I did that for a while too, wow. also in sort of like an assistant manager capacity. So I, I kind of got into your marked for the management track earlier. Wow. And then when, so I know where you went next, I'm assuming, because I know where you were when we met. You were the head nurse at the Marina Del Rey Cedar side, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, I had kind of like the uh, circuitous route. So when I finished, so I did the stuff at Cedars for a while. And then um, when I was at Cedars is when my twins were born. So, um, so my twins, January, 2011. And I stayed at Cedars for, you know, I did the whole like leave. And then when I came back, I stayed there for a while. And then I got pregnant again with cheats. And I was like, I have, you know, twins under two. I'm pregnant with a third. I cannot do this drive. So I actually took a job at Kaiser and Woodland Hills for a year. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I really loved being in the hospital. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
but I also knew that my life was in kind of a crazy spot. And so I took a job at Kaiser that was like on the outpatient side. It was like in the clinic setting. Uh huh. And it was eight hours, five days a week. So I did, I did that. Um, and it was only like a 20 minute drive. So yeah. I, I liked it. You know, I actually didn't like it. You didn't feel like it was slower paced. It was and... definitely slower. It would have been great, I think, for another couple of years while the kids were really little. So I didn't have all the like brain occupation of, of yeah. hospital leadership. But, um, and I would have stayed, but then my old boss from when I was at the Cedars before, um, was opening a brand new department and she wooed me and said, you can direct this department. You can build your own team, direct that, you know, create this department from scratch back at Cedars. And it was an offer I couldn't So I went. And it was in Marina Delray. That, no, that was still at the big Cedar. So I did that. That was like 2014. So how old were there, all the babies? So twins were three. Case was one. Case was one. Yeah. So then I did the commune again. Um, so but, who's helping you guys at this point? Because you had we were so Henry three. Dan's working. You're running a department and commuting. So what's the support? Did you have self care at this point? Like what's happening in your so life? Self care? No, not really. No. Um, okay. But I think at that time, so we had, we had found. I mean, it takes a knowledge to raise your children, truly. And um, I had found the best babysitter, Dash Nanny, like on the planet. So when I was going back to work after me with the twins, they found a babysitter who um, was just like she became like a member of our family. And it is hard to find those people. I've been lucky too, but like we've had these conversations. Like she's it, the best. She's the only good one I've ever had. Truly. Um, but I had her for a decade, so I was really spoiled. But yeah, so we had a great babysitter and she um she would come early in the morning and take care of the kids while we were at work. And then um, you know, we'd get home and Everything would be done. I don't know how she did it. She's like a superwoman. And we're, and my kids still talk to her. We still talk to her today. I love that. So during this time, Danielle, was it like, everything's great. I am moving forward. I'm doing what I'm doing. No problem. Or did you have breakdowns? Did you have meltdowns? Did you feel overwhelmed? How How is your emotional health at this point? You know, I, I think there were moments that were really challenging. A couple, I mean, I won't bore you with like all the details, but about two or three years into their are not boring us. Um, yeah, I have kind of crazy stories, but two or three, oh, now I'm checking my date, two, maybe two years into that, I'd started to have some health challenges. And so I think that was very difficult for me. So, you know, I had my, I had my youngest, I had chased in March, 2013. And then towards the end of 2014, when I was already back at Cedars, I started to get really sick for, and I didn't know why. So I was getting fevers. I couldn't oh, wow. sleep. Um, you know, a lot of pain and I had been to a bunch of specialists They were doing MRI, but nobody could really find what was wrong with me, but I knew I wasn't doing well. So yeah. I, um, so I still did, I probably, honestly, it was probably a year of like testing and not knowing what was going on. And at the end of the year, um, I was, and one thing you know this about me is I'm very active. I like, I'm a distant runner and whatever. So after a year, like I couldn't go up the stairs without being short of breath. Really? Yeah. So, and, and having like really severe lower abdominal pain. So my Dan and my parents just took me to the ER and were like, they had basically like threw a fit that I had to be admitted until they figured out what was wrong with. So isn't it wild to go through that as a nurse? So, so crazy. It's yeah. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on what it's like to be on the other side of care. Um, yeah. It was so interesting. So I ended up having a gigantic like abscesses on both of my ovaries. So I, um, I had to have a, a hysterectomy and a variety of other surgeries because there were complications from all the inflammation because it had been a year. Right. Yeah. And no one could figure that out. No, no. I mean, I had, I had such extreme, like there was dead tissue all throughout my abdomen. So I, you know, I had to have colon resection. There was a lot of stuff. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Oh, really? I, yeah, I want yeah, I've had my therapy has been has been interesting. Um, so that was really hard. So, do they know why it happened? Well, so I had had a tubal after I had Chase, and they think that maybe there was in infection introduced during the tubal, 
And then because, I, you know, those times that I was having fevers and everything was probably yeah. an active infection that they didn't catch. And then by the time it had been a year, it was all abscessed. So the infection part was gone, but I had these gigantic abscesses. Wow. Yeah. So working and raising babies during this. Yeah. I, I was. But yeah. I got to tell you, I mean, there's nothing like a, uh, having an experience like that to make you grateful for what you have. I mean, here I was like, what, 30, 34 with a hysterectomy. I was so lucky I had my kids already, you know, Um, which was great. But um, yeah, so that kind of shaved off, you know, about a year. And I was sort of not, you know, that I was like recovering or I had done a couple surgeries. So I was in and out of work for that whole time. As you're running the department. Yeah. So I had hired an assistant manager, still one of my best friends to this day. And I think that's another like sort of professional tip that I have is find somebody who you can grow and who can support you and who you can read minds with. I mean, she and I were so in sync, like she knew what I was thinking before and vice versa. So we were able to cover each other. And interestingly enough, her son, who's like two years younger than our our boys, um, was born with horrible congenital heart defects. And so then when she was out, you know, we kind of, we just had a few years that between the two of us, it was just really tough time. So we just kind of took care of each other. Wow. That's an amazing story. What a special friendship. So amazing. Yeah. So, so amazing. Yeah. So that was kind of rough. That was a kind of rough. That sounds so rough. And so you're taking care of each other and then you're slowly just getting back into it and the kids are starting what like preschool yeah, started to have the twins get into kindergarten um yeah I mean it was it was it was a crazy crazy time I think one thing though for me is I, I love being a nurse I love my job so much yeah. people and my at my work centered me and gave me purpose so yeah. I actually felt better that I was still working because I felt like I had value and that you know, I had a support system there. Um, and I think I would have been worse off actually if I had just been at home. At home. I, I totally understand that when you love what you do and you love the people you're surrounded by, it gives you strength. Yeah. How, how did all of that impact your marriage at that uh, point? It was, it was really, really hard on us. I think, you know, we didn't realize we wanted kids so badly and so much. And the focus was on having, you know, trying to get pregnant, have kids. And then when you, we didn't really think about like, what's it going to be like when we have them, you know, and to have two and then a, a third in rapid succession was very challenging. We went from zero to three. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Dan and I used to bicker about the stupidest shit. We were just tired, you know, and we would bicker and, you know, there were times where like, Either one or both of us just had to like walk, leave the house and go for a walk. Like I remember several times calling my dad and being like, can you come over? Cause I just can't freaking do it. Like I need a, I need a break. Yeah. I like at that stage in life, at least for us, it was almost like every man for himself. Like you're <laughs> so much like self-preservation that you're like not a team. You're not connecting all the reasons you fell in love aren't even like at the forefront of your mind. You're just like survival. Total survival. I think, um, you know, there actually, there were periods of time that we actually went and saw like a marriage counselor. Here, for sure. We just weren't like, it was just like, I remember, and it's so funny, like looking back on it because we're in such a better spot. But we used to like, I used to be like, you need to do like, I'm giving you your task. Like I literally ran my marriage, like I ran my, my work. And I would be because there was you had no time to like sit down and have a nice conversation about it. No, nope. I would be like, okay, it's trash. You're doing the trash. You're going for the mail. I'm gonna fold the laundry. And if it didn't get done, like to my specification, like on the deadline I had, I would go absolutely apeshit. So then we'd argue about it. Wait, are we both like Jewish wives? Like I know, right? Can't relate to what you're saying at all. That never happens in my house. Uh, right? I mean, I remember one time, like, I, I don't even remember what we were arguing about, but and Dan is so, like, nice. My husband is so nice. It's so even killed and so calm. And I remember one time he, I was, like, bitching at him about something, and he was like, stop treating me like an employee. And in my head, I thought, oh, shit, that is really bad. Like, that, I need to, like, check myself at the door, because that, mm-hmm. that, that resonated with me, and 
that statement affected me a lot in the sense that I, I really learned how I need to be communicating with my husband differently. That's powerful. When were you born? What month? October. So what does that make you? Libra. Libra, right? Is that a characteristic of a Libra to be like full force ahead? I feel like that's no, more me. Not like really. I'm in your reason. Maybe yeah. our boys love each other so much because they've been raised like, like I have the personality that you have. Ben is more like Dan, like yeah. maybe just understand each other's environment. Maybe. So I, yeah. I never thought about it, but you're probably right. And I, but I have that Aries energy and it sounds like you do too, but you're not. I do too. I have a lot of energy um, and a lot of, I just, and, and actually Chase, as you know, is just like that. Like he doesn't stop. He's just like me in terms of his like energy field. Like it's an always thinking, always a hundred things going at the same time. It's funny when you have kids and you look at them and they, they're like you. It's a weird thing. Oh, when my kids struggle with certain things or if Adam's having anxiety or Sydney's worrying, I just tell them like, you got it from me, guys. This is how I handled it as a kid, but this is what I know better as an adult. Let's try it this way so you don't have to live your oh, years with the struggle. Because I look at them and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's I know. That's me and Chase all day long. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah. let me try to help you. Sydney yeah. was like screaming and crying about her curly hair the other day. Like she just started really hating having, you know, curls. And I couldn't even get mad at her because I was like, I get it. Like, I did that so many times. Like, it's hard to be the one with the curls. I get it. But she's you not. Know. I know. And I was like, I love your curl. But uh, you just, like, relive your past experiences. Oh, like, boy, do you ever. Just wait. Wait, wait, Jesse. Tell you they're no. cool. That has been a big moment for us. So the, your kids just started, your twins just started in middle school. But yeah. I just. I'm not emotionally ready. It is interesting. You know, it is really interesting. Just like sort of the focus on what they look like and, you know, who's doing one after school, like that kind of stuff that I remember being like extremely anxious about as a kid. Yeah. All back. And it's like, it's hard as a parent, right? Because you remember those feelings and you don't want your kids to experience them. Exactly. Exactly. I started wearing deodorant not that long ago. And that for me was like, this is it. Like crossed over. Well, I tried shaving legs. So Sienna started shaving and I'm like, oh my God, like how am I? Well, the first thing that always goes in my head is like, how am I old enough to have a kid who can shave? Yep. (laughs) You know, that's all the time. Or Adam's like, you're embarrassing me. I'm like, that's possible how am I old enough to be embarrassing yeah we're too cool for that why did that happen (laughs) I know all the time Cindy said to me this morning um I don't want you to get old and die and I was like what I'm 39 Sydney what do you mean you're a mom dad we're so old when it happened I feel like I was just 21 I don't know um okay so when did you end up over in Marina Del Rey. So that was another one, uh, another sort of weird chain of events. So I was, I, my boss, the same one who had recruited me back the second time, got a promotion to be like the chief operating officer at the Cedar Side Eye Marina camp. It was okay. interesting. They had just had a huge leadership turnover. Cedars had really only recently bought the place. And so they basically removed the entire executive suite um, and were trying to replace it with Cedars trained people. So my boss went over there and um, unbeknownst to me, she had made some arrangement, which I found out after the fact that I, it was a package deal and I was going to even before I knew it. What? Yeah. She so, loves you and she thinks so highly of you. What do you think were your attributes? I think, you know what? A find a good mentor is, is, is huge. Um, it comes up in every episode, Danielle. Like every person I have talked to who has worked their way through their career and has really just kept going and built such a business for themselves or a career, everyone has a mentor. That's like my biggest running theme. So true. And that's how I, you know, I attribute a lot of my success, of course, to my mentor. I mean, I did the work and 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Out there, but that guidance is priceless, though. For sure. I mean, I had so many doors open to me, and I wouldn't have otherwise. So she went over there. She convinced me at first. I said, "Are you out of your mind? It's already too far driving to Cedars from Agoura." Um, and then she said, "But you can drive from the beach every day and take PCH." And I just thought, "Okay." So I didn't never look back. Loved that job. Loved, loved, loved. How long were you there? Almost four years. It would be four years in January. Okay, so spoiler alert, and we'll get to it, but you just left that job for an incredible position because you became a doctor of nursing practice, but we will get there. For a second, though, I want to talk about your time at Marina Del Rey during COVID. Oh, sure. Oh, man. I mean, not everybody was in a hospital providing care during COVID. So can you just talk to us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there are days I still feel like I'm processing. Oh, you know, that whole picture. I think that's the forever, you think? Hmm? Do you think you'll have like a PTSD reaction yes. to a lot of things? Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure. And and my reaction is probably different than people who are every day providing care at the bedside. I was trying to run a hospital. You know, which is a whole, not that it's any, you know, it's hard to be at the bedside of these patients, especially in the beginning when they were so sick and they were dying and whatever, huge, like emotional thing. I still, oh, yeah. But I think for, for me, just watching my staff and patients sort of self-destruct at the same time was really, really hard. I think, um, so you just don't realize what you have in your reserve emotionally until you're tested. And I think, you know, as a, as a profession overall, we were really tested. Um, and I'm still so amazed by the amount of resilience that is in the well that nurses at, at have and that I, you know, felt like I, I was surprised that I didn't spontaneously combust. I think we we were having such a hard time because everybody else, all of our spouses, all of our kids, everybody else was at home, right? And people were off work, working from home. They remember when they were doing the school stuff and you had to be like hands-on helping yeah. online. And everyone's complaining about it, right? Like everyone's miserable being at home and you're like, if I could only. Exactly. I mean, it was just, and, and there were like, I mean, people, it, obviously it's super well-intentioned, but a lot of people like the teachers and stuff were saying things at the time, like you are going to need to sit down with your children and make sure that they're said. And I was like, you know, I mean, it was, it, it, it wasn't badly attention, but it felt like a slap in the face, right? So you have all that going on and you're trying to just try water at work. I think we were so incredibly busy um, that I didn't have much time to emotionally process until probably a year into the pandemic. Um, and then we can, at that point, kind of reflect back and say, hey, we made it through. You know, there's power in that too. Like, we made it through. We, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't have a huge amount of staff turnover. Staff was still happy with the leadership. So I think, you know, we did good. But the emotional piece was very, very difficult. And I am, um, you know, there were times where we are staffed so short that um, a lot of us that were away from the bedside for many years, we're still having to jump back in and help and do things. And, you know, there are two, um, very sad, but um, there were two patients in the ICU at various times when I had jumped into like answer phone calls and help and stuff, uh, where they were patients who were like having horrible respiratory distress and they were just about to be put on life support. And both of the patients, like I happened to be the one in the room, and both of those patients looked at me and said, am I going to die? You oh, know, I and that, that uh, sticks with you, you know? So what do you do in that situation? I mean, it's You're just brain to say this, right? You're no, not- I mean, the thing is, you know, you, you, everybody has sort of a different approach. There are very religious people who would say, you know, it's in God's hands, but I know you're going to be fine. You know, for me, it's like, we're going to do everything we can to take care of you and save you know. But it is frightening. It is frightening to be with you're people alone, right? Because, like, yeah. you're, you're it. Like, you're that person with them because their family can't be. And, and when they're dying, you're, what? And, and when people were at the end of life and they I, were, you know, that too. The problem is, I, it's beyond comprehension for me. Like, I 
don't even know how to fully comprehend it. And I think if I allowed myself to go there, even thinking about it and putting myself really in your shoes, like, I don't think I can emotionally even imagine. It is so hard. I mean, one of the things that kind of, aside from the fact that I was good at being bossy, one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to do management is I wanted to take care of nurses because in my time as a neurotrauma nurse, I had seen so much loss, so much heartbreak, so much death that I thought that we could do better as professionals to take yeah. care of one another. And so that's always been a focus for me, even even now. Uh, you know, I, I got really involved with the State uh, Nurse Leaders Association, or our professional organization. And over the past years, I think starting in 2020, I um, started co-chairing the Healthy Workforce Committee. Um, because I just feel that we're not taking care, you know, we need to do things to take care of our nurses. Nurses are, Absolutely. you know, they're traumatized from the pandemic. They have very high rates of opioid misuse. Like there's a lot of stuff in our backyard that we need to do to take care of our people. It's, it, it's so incredible. I love that you're doing that because the other component that I'm thinking about is you're in these horrible, tragic situations. And then you're expected to go home and be a mom. Yeah. Wife. And step into these roles. But it's like, when are you processing everything? I would imagine I would want to end my shift, go into a room or a cave by myself, crawl into a bed, be in my head and process, and then try to regain regain strength to come back. But you don't have that option. You have three babies at home. Like, I know they're not babies, but they're still your babies that need you. Because they're scared shitless during this time. Like you're constantly just giving. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, I was grateful. That was one thing I was grateful for the commute because I would use my commute time to either listen to like really shitty podcasts, like junk podcasts or music and just kind of like decompress and have that moment. But, you know, I learned a couple of things long ago. One is, and I always am like baffled by nurses who are married to other nurses or doctors or whatever, that they can't ever turn things off. I always... I love the fact that nobody in my family, immediate or otherwise, is in healthcare because I don't have to talk about it when I'm not at work. Um, and I, that was that was hugely helpful for me. And like I, my my husband, he knows not to ask me like the stuff at work. And but you just don't want to talk about it. No, I don't. I don't. And have I, I think you know you have a support system at work. We talk about it at work and yeah. we're all. It's like not nurse mode. You talk to people that understand. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as moms, it is always hard to shut off certain aspects. You know, once you're in a position and you know, I mean, you run a business, when you're in charge of something, it is a 24-7 operation. Like you're never not working. Right. And even if you're not, like, talking about your job at home, Somebody's mm-hmm. calling you for something. There's an email you have to attend to. Some, you know, something happening that needs your attention. Yeah, yeah. And so I think even today, that's probably my biggest struggle is like trying to be present with my kids when like my yep. work phone is chirping or yeah. something is happening. I, I'm still struggling with that. You know, and, and, and my kids really are old hard. enough to pick it up. Yeah. Oh, um. So you know, because Ben and I run the business together. Once there's a bigger issue at here and we'll talk about it at home, because believe it or not, even though we're in the same room at work, there's so much always going on. We never talk it out at work. It's when we come home that we have that moment. And I hear it all the time and I feel guilty all the time. Like, stop talking about work. Or if they hear us talking about like finances, like the business finances, they interpret it. I just I just learned this when Adam brought it up to me one night when I took him to bed. He thought we were like going to be homeless. Oh my God. Yeah. He's listening and he's like, Are we not okay? Do we not have enough money? Like, I, you can take the money I've saved. And I was like, Wait, oh my God. what are you talking about, buddy? And I was like, Oh my God. Like, you don't realize everything. Like, you think they're on like an iPad or, yeah, nope, whatever. But he's listening to everything. And I was like, That's work money. That's not like, it's just, yeah. they're listening. It's hard. It's, hard. it's hard. It's really hard. It's just, trying to turn it off which is a struggle okay danielle you have these kids you're running a hospital during covid what else were you doing during this time i was getting my doctorate we're in a doctorate program and this is why she's a badass 
Uh, it was actually really funny. I mean, it was just the shittiest timing ever, but I was like, I had already paid and I was committed. I don't know if I ever told you. So I started my doctorate in March of 2020, which is, of course, now infamous, right? Yeah. No, we got it. But no, actually, no, I lied. I started in February. So a week before I started my doctorate, I um, started having really bad stomach pain. I ended up in the ER. I had a small bowel obstruction, which is very com- common for people who had a ton of abdominal surgery, like I already explained. So I was in the hospital for a week. The first two days of school, I was in the hospital. Oh, my God. And looking like, back, we're like, thank God you did that before COVID. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so I, I, um, they, they had, it didn't resolve on its own. So I had to have surgery. So then surgery. Yeah. So then I get home. I'm like, I had, they, I think it would, they were nice to me. I think they said we can have two weeks off or something were not a whole lot longer. So I think right as I went back to work is when everything shut down. I can't. And you guys, you don't know Danielle, but I do. You and meet her and never ever think any of this is going on you wouldn't know well then again for a good actress i guess (laughs) bring that energy to the room and i don't know that's just insane to me that's so like it's so many things going on at once when did you bring the time to study weekends and evenings i think you know the one advantage remember when our kids were online they had a lot of online independent work the one would make it a thing like, okay, you're going to do your online independent work and mom's going to do her online independent work. So that worked for a while. Um, and then I think, you know, on the weekends, I kind of, I kind of hold myself in on Sundays. And if there was like a soccer game or something, yeah. so I skip, Dan would go and I would just okay. work all day. Stuff. Like your kids are really active in sports. So I know what that's like too. And your weekends are not your own. No, they are not. I missed quite a few. My dad is like a super oh. sports junkie. So he and Dan would kind of like split the kids' activities on Sundays if they had them. And I would just work. Wow. And how long was the program? Two years and two months. Yeah. That's incredible. It that was. was. That was probably, do you know, the hardest two years of your life with everything going on? Academically, absolutely. Yeah. COVID and I mean the whole world the math. Yeah, I don't even know how like I, I just think I need to have time to stop and think like this is crazy. How are you doing this? I just was like You just plowed through. Get it done. Get it done. Was there any self care at this point? So one thing that I, I mean not not extensively, no. I think one thing that I have always stuck to though, um, that keeps me centered in exercise. So in that two-year period, I could probably only name a couple of days that I didn't at least work out a little bit. Because um, for me, that's the only time that my mind quiets enough. Really, it gets quiet when you're working out? Right, yeah. I, I Because I'm really, I mean, I think I have a touch of like, I mean, I always joke and say it's like adult ADD. Yeah. But I, I have really a hard time focusing on one thing on my whole life. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm always moving. I like to multitask. And so um, that was, that's the only time where I'm just focused on one, one thing. And it really, if I don't work out in a day, I feel like an asshole. Like I, I'm not as calm. I'm not as patient. And so I knew that from a younger age. And that's what I tried to do and take care of myself. What time of day would you do it? Oh, yeah, I get up at an ungodly hour. Remember I said I'm a morning person. Yeah. What's well, that godly hour? Four. Yeah, that's, I mean, that to me, that's the middle of the night. Yeah, see, for me, I was always like a 5.30, 6 a.m. person. I was an athlete growing up. I was playing tennis in the morning. So for me, um, it, that, those hours are fine. Four is a little extra. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm up, that's quiet, have my coffee, work out. It's great. So you work out at home? Because you don't run at that hour, do you? No, God, no. Um, no, I think the other investment I made during the pandemic was Peloton. So yeah. I think that, everyone did. Oh, I do. I, I mean, we really, we had the bike right before and then we got the treadmill. Oh, you so I haven't treadmill. been back to a gym. Yeah. No, I created one in my garage because here's the other thing. I don't know if you feel the same way as a, a mom and running a department or a business, I just didn't want to take the commute time to run yeah. from the gym away from my kid. 
First yep. of all, if they see you working out at home or know you're working out at home, I think it's a good example. I agree. Okay. And if they need you, they have access to you, even though it's nice to have a quiet workout, they know you're there. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I can't take 15, 20 minutes by the time you get there and you set up and you do everything. That's another almost hour of my day away from them. Exactly. So, I, yeah, I wasn't willing to do that either. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah, I love it too. Ben started working out with some uh, trainer recently and he told me like, you should go, you would love it. And I was like, I don't, I don't have that hour. Like there's so many things to do with that commuting hour that I'm just, not worth it. My garage is. Um, okay. So you get your doctorate and then what was next? I mean, I was kind of just doing my same thing in my job. I was really loving it. You know, we're building procedures where I was building a new hospital, but I, I still felt the pull of the commute really being significant. So people how long the commute was. An hour. And, well, with COVID with no traffic, it was a little more tolerable, but as things started to get back to normal, at least an hour, 20 minutes on the best day. One way. Yeah. I yeah. mean. Yeah. Unless I went in at like five in the morning and then, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah. So, it was, it was rough. Um, and I started to think about, you know, all the time, like he just talked about that I could have had by not being in the cart. Um, you know, and I had always been looking passively. I think everybody does these days, they try to passively look LinkedIn and try to see what's out there. And I saw an opportunity that opened up um, to be in charge and to be the chief nurse executive for Ventura County uh, Medical Center in Santa Paula Hospital. Just a small. Job. Yeah. Nope. I um, and I honestly, you know what? I saw Ventura County. I saw it was over two hospitals. I saw they had, you know, some stuff I hadn't done in a long time, like some trauma. They have peds, you know, and I threw my hat in the ring and I kind of just thought there's no way they're going to call me. And then they did and interviewed a couple of times, many, many rounds getting into the government is, is a process. And then oh, now I, here I am and I think I'm finishing out my. 10th week now. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. What? Tell us just really quickly what Dan does because in our house, Dan plays video games. Well, Dan doesn't play video games. I know. What's the actual title? Um, so, so right now he's a director of, or no, I'm sorry, he's a vice president of finance for a company called Tilting Point, which makes um, mobile, mobile phone games. But okay. his full career since he finished his, uh, his MBA has been in finance for the video game industry. Okay, so whenever Adam goes to your house, there's video games and Dan plays with the boys. So I told you this already, but Adam, my 10-year-old, comes to me, I don't know, what a couple weeks back, and he goes, Chase's parents have the best jobs. His mom's a nurse, so she knows how to take care of them, and his dad plays video games. Yep. Well, and I was like, you know what, buddy? They do, and you are welcome to spend your time there. Yeah, and he's welcome in our house, of course, as you know, anytime. But yeah, my husband also lives, you know, I think the one thing, we're really good examples of living your passion because passion, I mean, say what I will, my husband is passionate about me. He made it his whole career. You know what? And that's great. And I think that's such a good example is finding your passion. And I, I think so many people once you authentically understand who you are and then you follow that path, I feel like so much peace can be achieved. And like that grit and persistence is easier to get to because it, it comes naturally because you're doing what you're meant to do. I but I do want to ask you, though, before I let you go, I like to ask people a lot at the end, like, what are three things you would advise to other people as they're growing their career? But that's not what I want to ask you. You've talked a lot about leadership and you you keep joking around that you're bossy so you knew you'd be a good leader. But I've also learned through this conversation that you're a great leader. So what would be advice that you would give to other leaders in how to achieve good leadership? Uh, oh, wow. Good, good question. Um, since interviewing is fresh in my mind, I, I know. I, I have thought about this recently. So one thing that I probably my number one most important thing for leaders is get in at the ground floor and you better understand exactly what your people are doing at all. Wash the car. Yep. Wash the car. Exactly. So I don't, um, it's, it's interesting in places I've been when I rounded in the, in the areas where, you know, the 
nursing is practiced, they always look at me like an alien, like nobody in leadership has done that before. And that always makes me sad. So get in, no no people by name, try to flatten your hierarchy, go downstairs, get to know people. That's, that's number one. Um, I think number two is um, figure out a system of figure out and hold your skills at prioritization. Because the higher up you go, the more people have an agenda for you and the better you have to be at figuring out what you're owning and what you're going to say no nicely to. Saying no is so important. important. So you know what, so you have the ability to say yes to what you need to say yes to. Exactly, exactly. So really getting good at that skill of prioritizing, I think is great. And I think the third thing um, is to you know, be a living, breathing example for people. So, you know, yes, I'm bossy, but I also don't take for granted the fact that I'm blessed to be a mom, a woman in a position of power in a hospital where mostly the colleagues are. There is something really important in role modeling for women that you can have a seat at the table. You can be on the board. You can be in the executive suite. And what makes you special in that role is that you have a degree of empathy that does not naturally inherently exist for men. And you got to use that to your advantage. You have to convince people that that is important. I love everything you just said. Honestly, Danielle, from the bottom of my heart, you are so inspirational. Oh, I think your path is incredible. Um, you, for those of you that don't know her, she has the kindest, sweetest children that she's raising and just, you, you guys have a great family and you've done amazing things. And thank you so much for coming on here. When I knew I wanted to create a podcast about women and business and achievement and dealing, not dealing, but juggling just everything in their lives, like you immediately came to mind and I'm just I feel really grateful that you came on to share your story so thank you thank you for having me I could easily say the same things about you and you are equally inspirational and on a side note I'm really glad my kids have faked it that you think they're so lucky (laughs) (laughs) you know what that's the truth as long as they present outside as well behaved and they're a mess for you we're doing something right right they've learned social graces I give them that Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can ask for. All right. Well, I will let you get back to work and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So much fun and congratulations on this podcast. So impressive. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please rate, review, and follow along on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me at www.jessieblois.com and follow along at Facebook at Jesse Blois or on Instagram at, at Jesse Blois. See you again next week with another great episode.